Chapter Six: A Perilous Slide. Startled by the news, Joe sat bolt upright in bed. Chet and Biff are gone. They vanished after the party. Who was that on the phone? Suddenly, asked a deep voice. In the doorway stood Fenton Hardy in a robe. Quickly, Frank told his father and Joe about the calls from Mrs. Morton and Mrs. Hooper. Mr. Hardy promptly dialed the police headquarters and identified himself to the desk sergeant. Have any accidents been reported since midnight? He inquired. As he listened, the lines of his forehead relaxed. None. He reported to Frank and Joe. Then the detective explained the situation to the officer, who promised that the police would look for Chet and Biff. After putting down the phone, Mr. Hardy asked his sons, "Is there any other place these boys would likely have gone?" They were planning to go camping earlier this morning. Joe recollected, stopping at different islands along the coast. Maybe they decided to go tonight instead. I doubt it. In this fog, Frank objected, and not without telling anyone. Nevertheless, he dialed the Hooper home to make sure. Oh no, Biff's mom replied to Frank's question. Mr. Hooper carries a boathouse key with him. If Biff and Chet wanted to leave earlier, they would have had to get the key from him. Frank tried not to show his mounting alarm, hoping he'd sound cheerful. He said, "We'll keep looking for the boys." After saying goodbye, he turned to Joe and his father. "This is serious. I, I hate to disturb Callie, but I have to now." He dialed her number. Callie answered herself sleepily. "Sorry to bother you so late," Frank said. But will you do me a favor? Peek out your window and see if Chet's jalopy is there. It was parked under the streetlight. After a short pause, he turned to Joe and his father. It's still there. Callie, when did Biff and Chet leave? He listened for a moment. Thanks.、Uh, we can't locate them. Nothing wrong for sure. We'll call you tomorrow. Frank hung up and said worriedly, "They left the party ten minutes after we did." Joe snapped his fingers. I bet they couldn't get the jalopy started. They're probably spending the night with one of those fellows who lives on Cali Street. Frank looked relieved. Let's go over and check the jalopy. The boys began dressing. Have you a key to the car? Mr. Hardy asked. Chet gave us one. Frank explained. Fifteen minutes later, the boys drove up quietly in their father's sedan and parked behind the yellow jalopy. Quickly, Frank slipped into the driver's seat, and a moment later, the Queen coughed and rattled into life. Abruptly, he cut the motor, and the two brothers looked at each other soberly. "I was wrong," said Joe. "They didn't have car trouble." "What did happen?" Frank shook his head grimly. By the light of the street lamp, the boys examined the jalopy, the curb, and the road around it, but found no clues. Using their flashlight, they checked the Shaw's yard and porch. Nothing here," Frank said finally. The porch light blinked on, and Callie appeared in the doorway. "Frank, Joe, what are you doing?" she asked. "Looking for clues," Joe replied. "But we haven't found any yet. Chet and Biff had their costumes on when they left and carried the masks," Callie said. "They looked so conspicuous. They should be easy to locate. We'll keep trying," Frank promised. He used the Shaw phone and called each boy who had been at the party. Chet and Biff were not with any of them, nor had Tony or Jerry heard from them. Finally, the Hardys headed home.
They gave their father the discouraging report and reluctantly went back to bed. After a few hours of uneasy sleep, Frank and Joe awakened to find bright sunlight filling the room. Hurriedly, they dressed and dashed down the stairs. Their father was already at the breakfast table. Any news of Chet and Biff? Frank asked. Mr. Hardy shook his head soberly. The police have found no trace of them. If only we knew where to start looking, Joe said worriedly. But we haven't had a single clue to go on. The police are searching too, Mr. Hardy told them. A lead may show up before the day is over. I hate to mention it, he added. But the boys might have been kidnapped. So to be on the safe side, there will be absolutely no publicity. Good idea, Frank agreed. For a minute, he and Joe sat in glum silence. What about the sleuth? Joe asked finally. The Coast Guard haven't found it yet, Mr. Hardley replied. And there are no leads on the bank robbery either. How about the stolen car? Frank queried. Who owns it? A man living up the coast, his father answered. It disappeared the day before yesterday, while he was at a boat regatta in Newport. A boat regatta? Joe murmured. Where have we heard of one lately? At the Coast Guard station, Frank prompted. That's it. Seaman Thompson thought that the boat that tried to ram us might have come down from the regatta in Newport. Looks like Newport might furnish a lead to more than one mystery, Frank declared. Let's take a run up there and see if we can pick up another clue. If I go up the coast, I want to go in the sleuth, Joe answered firmly. We must find her. At this point, Mrs. Hardy brought the discussion to an end by setting before each boy a stack of steaming golden brown pancakes. Aunt Gertrude came in behind her with a block of yellow butter and a tall picture of maple syrup. There are more cakes on the griddle, she said. You need your strength, and for goodness sakes, find those poor lost boys. If we can help, Mrs. Hardley began. Thanks, Frank said. After breakfast, the brothers hurried to the garage. The bank robbers must have beached the sleuth somewhere, Joe reasoned. If we follow the shore, we're sure to find her. The black and silver motorcycles backfired like pistol shots, then roared from the drive and down High Street. The riders headed out Shore Road, past the private docks. Finally, they reached the head of the bay and turned sharply, following the seacoast northward. For a while, Frank and Joe saw only big green rollers of the Atlantic as they broke into foaming white along the sand and rocks. The brothers spotted the squatters' colony of slapped-together board dwellings ahead. The cycles chugged up Shore Road, which rose and twisted along the top of high, rocky cliffs along the sea. Look down there, Joe called out suddenly. He caught a glint of sunshine on a familiar hall. The sleuth. It was stranded on the beach. Yippee! exclaimed Frank. The robbers must have floated her in at high tide. The boys parked their motorcycle and hurried to the edge of the bluff. Below them, the rocky cliff fell straight down to the boulders, bordering the sand. I don't see a path. Frank said. Wait, here's a place we can go down. As he leaned over the edge, a mass of loose sod and stone gave away at his feet. With a startled cry, Frank slid downward. Desperately, he grasped for a hold, his clawing fingers closing on a sharp slab jutting out just below the lip of the bluff. His body hung a hundred feet above the rocks and sand below. Hang on! 
Joe shouted, and he whipped his extra-long leather belts from his loops. Lying flat, he inched downward over the cliff edge until he could pass the leather under Frank's armpits. He slid the end through the buckle and pulled the belt tight. Joe squirmed back again, braced himself, and hauled. For one sickening moment, Frank swung like a pendulum beneath the cliff. With his strength, Joe jerked the belt again and a moment later helped Frank clamber to safety. Ooh, that was close, Frank said gasping. If it hadn't been for you. Better we leave the boat, Joe said, panting. Retrieving his belt, we can come by the sea with the Coast Guard and get her. Still shaking in fear, Frank agreed. The brothers went at once to the Coast Guard station on the pier. When Lieutenant Parker heard Frank's story, he called two men to lead the way to a patrol boat. The powerful craft headed straight out of the mouth of the bay and turned sharply up the coast. The beach was a whitish line on their left. Soon it broadened, and the tumbled-down buildings of Shantytown came into view. Wait, wait a minute, Frank called out. Can we slow down? What is that white thing floating in the water? A dead fish, suggested the Coast Guard. The patrol boat throttled down, slid nearer to the object. Leaning far over the side, Joe lunged and scooped it from the sea. This isn't a fish, he cried out excitedly. It's a rubber mask turned inside out. As he spoke, his fingers moved nimbly. In an instant, a limp gorilla face appeared. This belongs to Chet, 